Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we're going to talk about drinks. Drinks. Can we talk about no, no drinks? Yeah, what kind of drinks do you want to talk about? I mean, I mean we just uh, spent 20 minutes talking about about coffee. You know, I mean, what is the milk? No, man, milk is for psychopath. Yeah. Haven't you noticed that all psychopaths in movies drink milk? Like you know, well, Hans Landa, Alex in a Clockwork Orange. Leon the professional. Leon is a psychopath. He's a nice guy. Well, he's just a, a professional hitman. I, I, yeah. We can agree on that. He's not a psychopath. Yeah. yeah. Um, so does that make every baby a psychopath? No, no, no. Just milk lovers. You know, people that are, you know, like grown up people that are, that have like a glass of milk. That's just psychos. Okay. So so, so what's, what's coffee for then? Workaholics or tormented souls like the Oracle in the Matrix drinks coffee or Harrison Ford in Blade Runner also coffee drinker uh, d- debatable <laughs> <laughs> debatable okay what about what about beer beer is for hooligans Game of Thrones characters Homer Simpson no glamour there sorry beer nerds no glamour there <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous Eric what what happened to you? I I knew you when you were a craft beer aficionado. We spent many <laughs> many hours in craft beer bars. Yeah. Also, beer is like a food. You know, it's like it's what sustained Germany for hundreds of years. You know, it used to be a base food, kind of like on the same lines as bread and potatoes and stuff. You know. <laughs> well, and there is a beer Nazism for sure. You know, like Germans invented this purity law. For beer. <laughs> ah, for beer. I thought you meant in yeah. general, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they did that later, like a, a few centuries yeah. later. Yeah, but any beer that didn't complement, you know, like the hops and different standard ingredients formula was banned and burned and destroyed. Yeah, rightfully so. Rightfully so, because <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course, because it's like, look at the States, you know, where you look at your ingredients and it's like a million different fucking things in there. Like bread should be the same. There should be a purity law for bread. No fucking emulsifiers and preservatives and keep your ascorbic acid out of the fucking sourdough, you know? It should be flour, salt, water, you know, that's basically it. And then additives like, you know, seeds and stuff like that is okay. But base bread should just be that. I don't feel like talking beer right now. Any other suggestion? No. Okay. Uh we could talk about wine. I don't know what much of a wine else, you know. Wine. You know, wine, I think about like, I don't know, like a lusty poet drinking its own blood. You know, Hannibal yeah. Lecter, interview with the vampire, Cersei from Game of Thrones. You know, like. I don't know if I would call Hannibal Lecter a lusty poet. No? But. Uh, <laughs> no. Sort of. I mean, eh. no. Well, interview with the vampire, I think, for sure. No, like vampires drink blood. Interview the vampire, yeah. But what about what about the like soccer game Chardonnay wine moms? <laughs> I mean, I guess they're lusty, but not not poetic. <laughs> no, pick a different one. Okay. Well, what about tea? I know you like tea. Tea, tea is a good one. You know, like I mean, if there is a character drinking tea in a movie, you know, it's always the wisest character. Like Miyagi yeah. would drink tea, Gandalf, Professor X, Yoda, you know. These are... Does Gandalf drink tea? I know he smokes a lot of pot in the movies, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I know, you know, wizards, they do these kind of things. 
Tea, tea is good. Yeah, we can talk about tea. Tea is like a, an amazing topic. Yeah. Tea is an amazing topic. Yeah. Do you have any favorite tea or way of drinking tea? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I have a very, very, I love tea in general. I love all sorts of tea. Um, and I drink a lot of tea, like a lot. But I have a very definite favorite tea, which is because of how I grew up. My grandparents, they spend a lot of time in Japan. And so when I was growing up in my in my households, every afternoon they would drink Japanese green tea, especially like Sencha. Ah, man, it's my favorite. Finally, we agree on something. Yeah. That's my fucking favorite tea, for sure. It's so, so good. And like, even when I just smell it, I just feel so filled with calm and like positive emotions you know and i especially like the like the ones that taste really grassy or almost like seaweed or spinach you know yeah for me it's like roasted spinach and umami so it's kind of like yeah. a like a dashi probably the dashi comes from tea culture i'm i i could bet on that for sure yeah it's it's delicious i mean like it's it's so good and i mean it's by far one of the best things that you could drink and it's one of those things that if you do it right it's amazing if you screw it up it's whatever you know, like the right timing, yes. right temperature, like everything has to be properly executed to have a, like a nice cup of, of nice tea, of Tencha specifically. That's true. It can go it can go wrong really easily and you can misbrew it really easily. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. I, I became like a tea hipster a few weeks ago. I'm drinking really? lots of tea every day and different kinds of tea. Yeah. And and it happens to me all the time. You know, I forget and I over uh, infuse it and then it's crap. And it's shit. You know, it's bitter. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking. It's crap. almost undrinkable. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like a fucking retard, you know, for forgetting my tea <laughs> or not putting a timer or anything. Hey, have you tried cold infusing Sencha? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, I think it's the best way to drink it. I had like a. It's so good. A present from a Japanese friend. He gave me two bags, one of, of Sencha traditional. The other one is like a, a Sencha Earl Grey mixture. I think it's Sencha aromatized with Earl Grey. And that one, cold brewed, man, I think it's my favorite tea in the world. It's incredible. Yeah. Because Earl Grey is another one that I really like. Yeah, Earl Grey is nice. And not everybody's a fan of the bergamot, but uh, but yeah, super, super nice. I really caught on to like cold brewed tea when I was working in Japan. So when I moved to Japan, like I said, I grew up with this like tea culture and I was really excited because I was like, oh, I'm going to drink a lot of tea. And then I actually realized that in Japan, it's not that much of a big thing. Like you get a cup of like basic tea in a lot of restaurants, but it's not like a special tea. You don't really have tea houses like I was imagining it in my racial profiling Western mind, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, in the restaurant that I was working in, they were serving tea, but they didn't want to serve hot tea because they didn't want the temperature to affect the dishes. So they made several different kinds of cold infused tea, but they would add different things to the, to the teas also. So for example, they had a green tea cold infusion where they would take chervil and like crush the stems of the chervil and put them into the cold infusion. And they would make this like super subtle, complex infusions where when you would drink it cold, it was like, I, I can still sort of like feel the taste like in my in my memory because it was just so fine and like well-crafted. I know there are like bottles of tea 
in Japan sold by the thousands of euros, which is, you know, like we in the West, we, we, we can expect that from wine, but from tea is something like we don't really get, like, how is that possible? You know, like, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, our cultural uh, appreciation isn't there. I mean, like, I mean, here in Germany, for example, you know, the teas that people drink, it's like black tea, completely overbrewed. There's no appreciation for the quality of the tea itself. Herbal teas and aromatized teas, you know, like uh, Roy Bush and uh, that sort of stuff. Like that's really sort of like the tea culture here. But I mean, it's not something that we have local. It's all imported and it never caught on like coffee did, you know. So and then really, you know, with Japan and also China and probably also India, the best teas, they stay in the country, you know. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, I recently had my first trip to Asia. And I was in Singapore and I went to this traditional tea house, Chinese tea house. Yeah. And this was for for real, like a life-changing experience. Yeah. So the, first of all, the place, it looked like out of a, a Miyazaki fairy tale. You know, it was like, what is this? You know, like with individual rooms where you could walk into each room for your individual table and, you know, and have your tea time. Yeah. And there was even a picture of, of Queen Elizabeth having tea there, like in the 80s, uh, surrounded by Chinese tea experts. Tea. So they had this tea menu. Uh, they would also do like dumplings, but sweet dumplings, you know, like bowls yeah. filled with mar marmalade and this kind of, but also salty, you know, like. Yeah, jum cha is like a, a a tea food category, I would say, or like a way yeah, of drink, sure. dr drinking and eating. So then the, this guy comes with this kung fu looking costume outfit, which is not right, sorry, sorry, not, what, what, one sec, that that that's the most racist thing. <laughs> he came, no, it's not. The tea master came with the kung fu outfit. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. And Those I'll tell you why. No, it, man, I'll tell you why it's not racist or a prejudice. Because then I found out that the the way of drinking tea he was teaching to us, it's called Gong Fu Tea or Kung Fu Tea. Because Kung Fu means skill. So this is like a, a way of drinking that implies like a high level of skill in the drink. So they, they would show us like just a very little jar, a metal jar, Where, where you would do the infusions with a timer and you had like two mini cups, one more like in a, a tube shape and the other one like a micro bowl. But I'm telling you, this is like two tablespoons big, each one, something like that. Yep. And so you would pour the tea in the first one and and this was just to smell the, the tube shaped one. So you, you yep. would just smell and pour it into the other bowl. And then you would smell again in the empty glass and yeah. the smell would change. And of course, this is like wine tasting, you know, as you go in on and on and on, the aromas change because you also change and, you know, all the variables change. And this was all different types of Olung tea, which is yeah. not specifically my favorite, but it was, you know, it's nice to have like, like an experience like this with Chinese tea, which are the, you know, the masters in command of tea. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought, you know, like Japan was the place, but China is, the tea culture in China is, and China and you have to add Taiwan also, is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, and I mean like the, the two most common words for tea, which are te and cha, both come from China, from, from different regions, and they got a acceptance in different regions as well. 
Like, for instance, in all of Europe, you say tea, but in Russia and other Eastern Europe countries, you say chap, which is also interesting. Yep. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. Or Mongolia or these places. Yeah, this way of that you described of drinking tea, where you have um, a brewing vessel with a teapot, a smelling glass, and then a drinking glass. Um, I think that's like one of the most beautiful and the most pure ways of drinking tea. And like, you know, the cool thing about oolong is that, you know, with like Sencha, you know, it's like a very like not fermented or, you know, like very lightly roasted uh, tea. Like it's, it's green. With oolong, you have a huge spectrum of teas that are almost green and teas that are really, really darkly fermented. And um <laughs> You have a, a spectrum of aromas that is insane. I had a similar experience to what you described when I was in Japan. And because uh, I was looking actively for tea places. And my roommate at the time was a very quiet Japanese guy. Um, I was sometimes brewing tea at home because I'm also a tea nerd. And he, at some point, he came to me and he was like, do you, you like tea? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I like tea. Uh, and he was like, mm, no, yeah. Uh, so we're drinking tea together and uh, like a secret society. And he was like, um, uh, next time you have a day off, I would like to take you uh, to see a friend of mine. And I was like, okay, sure. And we went into uh, like a, a tea house, like a private tea house where you were in Ginza, uh, like in the middle of the city. And you would go up a stairs into a small apartment and it was like a tea room. With the little, the table where you pour the water into, you know, the like wooden carved table. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he did a tea tasting for us. And that was the first time I really tried oolong. And it was crazy because we did exactly the same method that you were saying. We would take one tea, brew it several times, see how the tea develops after you brew it first time, only like 10 seconds, dump, smell, drink, then again, infuse it five seconds, dump it, smell it. And the tea would change the more you brew it. And there were some like mind blowing things like they had one tea and he was sort of like, okay, smell and like, tell me what you smell. And I smelled it and it was like pure peach flavor. Yeah. But like the sort of peach smell that you have when you have like a, almost like a peach iced tea, you know, like this like fake peach smell. And I was like, smells like peaches. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, is it peach flavored? And he's like, no, it's just tea, like nothing else, just tea. And there was another one where um, it was called Oriental Beauty, which had this really intense smell of like dates and orange and like insane, really, really heavily fermented, almost like a black tea, but so like light and flavorsome. It's like it's nuts. Did they teach you somehow how to hold the cup? Because in the tea house where I was, for me, it was they, they would tell you, yeah, you have to grab the cup like like this. And if you're a lady, you can... <laughs> leave your pinky uh, finger exposed if not you have to uh, hide it like for gentlemen and in this position of drinking it you're you're going to make fun of me again but this reminds me of the drunken master with Jackie Chan where he's drinking and holding cups like in the same same position you know like yeah and it's probably the Chinese way of holding teacups is it like an etiquette thing probably you know like Part of the ritual, like, I, I don't know exactly where. And also all the Chinese stores where, that I visited, they would give you tea just at the entrance for free because it's something, you know, like yeah. typical from there. The other character that I found really intriguing and interesting is this guy called Kazuko Okakura. This guy, like in the mid of the 19th century, he, he he's Japanese, obviously. He traveled to Europe where he studied fine arts 
and then to the United States, and he returned to Japan. We're talking about end of the 19th century, 1890, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he wrote the Book of Tea to show us Western barbarians the delicacy and the true art form of tea. So it was from yeah. an art study perspective, how tea is an art form, drinking tea, how teaism is a religion, and and all the grounds and ideas around that. Also, you know, I think like tea, uh, meditation, and poetry really go together, and that there is a, a lot of angles to, to go into that. Yes. So the interesting also thing about this book is that Heidegger read that book, and it uh, it was one of his first introductions into Eastern philosophy, Asian thoughts. And so at the same time, Heidegger is one of the most influential philosophers of the 20th century. Yeah. So it's crazy, like, how tea had an influence on, on Western philosophy. Well, Heidegger, you know, like, he had, like, this little controversy that he was a Nazi, and that, that didn't help him so much. Yeah, but, you know, we're, nobody's <laughs> perfect, you know. Poebody's po perfect. You had, you had this story with poets and tea, right? You told me once. Yeah. So, I mean, like what you just mentioned, it's a whole world to dive into this, not just the act of drinking tea and the health benefits and that, but also the philosophy behind it and the like tea culture, which is, which sounds kind of funny if you, if you don't, if you've never been in contact with that, but which is very, very deep and very profound and very, you know, reaching over many different countries and continents. And um, if you've kind of delved into that a little bit, you kind of know what, what it is that you're talking about with when you say that sort of like, yeah, teaism, that it's like a religion. I, I can immediately sort of understand what you mean, you know, while somebody who is completely new to this might not. But it's it's a very beautiful community of tea drinkers. And um, when you were saying that drinking tea was like very um, affiliated with poets and artists and stuff, you know, there used to be a practice or maybe there still is of uh, poets and artists and like painters and stuff to sit somewhere and indulge in drinking tea. Uh, what, I, what I mentioned earlier, I was sort of like brewing small quantities and drinking and zipping and looking out and just kind of delving in your thought and keep brewing and keep drinking, and keep brewing and keep drinking. And the, this continuous practice of like drinking tea, because tea has a different effect on you depending on how long it's brewed, whether it's calming or it like gets you up and going. Um, similar sort of to caffeine. Uh, but if you drink tea in this sort of way, you get into almost an elevated state of ecstasy of like you, a really elevated state, you know, of dopamine and, you know, just like happiness feelings and stuff. And uh, artists would do this uh, deliberately to get themselves like a little bit high on tea to then sit there and look out into the countryside and draw and paint or to philosophize and write down poems and yeah, that, that it was like a, a, an actual practice that they would do in combination with drinking tea. And I think that's super, super nice. Um, and it's like it works. I've tried it before, you know, when I would be sitting at home and I had like, you know, I would do this sort of little thing. Brew, drink, brew, drink, brew, drink. And you get almost like ecstatic, you know? I mean, like uh, I started meditating a few weeks ago. Like uh, I'm doing it every day and I incorporated like I have this small Chinese jar and I incorporate it in, into my practice. And, and it's really, you know, like part of my personal ritual, having a super nice tea. And actually, I think it's the best way to enjoy it because you're absolutely concentrated 
And then you have a sip and it's like, oh man, this is so nice. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, totally. And meditation is about focusing on something. And if you're focusing on taste, uh, you know, what, what, what better way to do that? Absolutely. And like making tea is a kind of meditation in itself, I think, you know, I, I listened to a podcast from Andrew Huberman the other day where he was talking about diverging our paths of focus of sort of like that. It's very unhealthy, actually. Like, for example, in the morning, we're like making a cup of coffee and we're listening to something. And at the same time, we're like writing an email and that, that, that's actually not very healthy. It's much healthier to do one thing. If you make a cup of coffee, make a cup of coffee. If you and this is what I think is really cool about tea, also is the because it it amplifies your enjoyment that much more. Also, it's that you're taking everything in. You're looking at the tea because tea is very beautiful. Also, you know, you're brewing it. You see the leaves unfold. You smell it. You look at the color. Um, you, and then you drink it, and you're in that moment, right? And it's a it's a the ritual is the part of the meditation. It's part of the enjoyment of consuming it. And so it's like, a, it's like a bigger, rounder picture, you know? There's also a myth. I, uh, in the last episode, I talked about the myth of the origin of coffee. Uh, well, when I, I started digging into tea, like I, I went to my friend Furkan and I told him, hey, Furkan, you know, you're, you're Indian. What do you have to tell me about tea? So he, he said, well, first of all, like we Indians, we don't export tea because our demand is higher our consumption is higher than our production, so we import tea. He told me, like, Indians are not so, like, in general terms, of course, not so fine in terms of tea drinking. So it, it, it's like boiling and adding sugar, you know, like the typical thing. Uh, well, if you ever try to replicate the flavor of, of this instant teas or, or the teas that, that you buy, in that's actually over-infusing tea, which is super bitter, and then balancing it with lemon and sugar that you got this nasty flavor you know yeah and he was the first person who told me like you know like chinese are much more refined than japanese when it comes to tea which makes sense you know like like uh, tea was introduced to japan from china so and he told me do you know about the the myth of the origin of tea so there, there was this like the equivalent to hippocrates in the west and his name is shendon it's like mm -hmm. the yeah the oldest medic you will find in, in Asia, right? Like like this ancient medic. Yeah. So, and he would like, which this in, these things are interesting. Like, you know, this alchemist stories, for instance, uh, Ban-Marie, you know, having something in a water bath has nothing to do with Christianism, which is what most people would think, you know, Mary, the Virgin Mary and so on. This was actually an alchemist who was the first one to coin that that way of of keeping things warm yeah. and and so her name was Mary in the case of of tea this guy Shandon he was the one that introduced boiling water into hygienic practices so he would like make his servants boil any water that he would drink you know we're talking about yeah. thousands of years ago And the, the story goes that he was near a forest and a few dry leaves that were flying with the wind fell into his water. And the servant said, oh, we're going to throw it away. And he said, no, let's drink it. And he discovered tea. Isn't it a nice story? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so he's drinking, drinking, drinking random water. If he's so, if he's so cleansy, cleanly about his water, and then some random shit flies, <laughs> he's like, a, dude, this was like a magical forest with perfect fermented sencha leaves flying in the wind. Don't you get it? I want to go there, man. I want to go there. <laughs> what about cooking with tea? Have you had good experiences cooking with tea? Mm, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is matcha. Me too. I'm not a, not a huge fan. Not a huge fan. Matcha. Oh man, matcha is so underrated. Honestly, have you ever had like real matcha, like frothed up, just simple matcha? You would love it, man. I have like after this experience in China, I was like, oh, I have so many tea at home that I I've gotten from. You know, every time I have a business meeting with a Japanese, they they give you like a present, and most of the time it's tea. So I had like twenty tea bags, uh, really good teas at home. And I have a few matcha bags that I haven't tried yet, but I have it just on my to-do list. Maybe I could do it today. I mean, the only place I have had matcha, like, and it was, like, really good was, um, well, in, in Japan, uh, obviously, um, in the restaurant where I was working, because everybody would get a bowl of matcha after the meal. Um, but also going to other kaiseki places, like really traditional high class Japanese restaurants. And man, matcha, if you like sencha, if you, you like this like grassy flavor, matcha is so insanely delicious because it's that it has this like beautiful, creamy, foamy texture, but there's no like no dairy or anything. It's like super light, obviously, but it also, it has this nuttiness and it's, it's insane. But unfortunately, most of the matcha that you like get is, is really bad quality. Like when you buy matcha, you need to buy something that's called ceremonial grade matcha. Yeah. I, I have a few good ones because they're like in super little envelopes that look like drugs, you know, like, and, and he gave me like five of those, the, the guy yeah. that, that gave me the present. And he was like, this one is a very high quality one. So I have one of those uh, that is supposed to be super good. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely want to start actually like I want to buy a little little matcha whisk yeah and start drinking matcha because it's also it's also one of the it's super healthy for you super super healthy. I remember um, that there was a quote from I don't remember who like maybe uh, Alain Sanderans one of these Nouvelle Cuisine chefs in France and he was like you know that this feeling of complaining of or like what have we done with our cuisine you know like at the very peak moment of of the French Nouvelle Cuisine. What have we done? Like this crazy combinations, this and that, or iced tea sorbet, for Christ's sake, what have we done? <laughs> I've had like very good iced tea sorbets. I remember a recipe from Bitsigman from this dessert book that he has, uh, Sweet Seductions, Swiss Verfügungen. It's an amazing dessert, man. It's a super nice tea sorbet. I don't actually know which one you mean. I have to look it up. But this is like those kind of things, like, you know, over-infusing, balancing it with sugar and lemon, and then you have this iced tea flavor, which is what it yeah. is, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I've done that with, uh, there's a really nice Japanese tea called hojicha, which is like roasted stems of tea, uh, kind of like ah, very smoky. Yeah, kukicha, right? Like the, the stems no, of the green tea. Okay. That's a different one. There's hojicha. You should try okay. it. It's like, um, it's, it's kind of really roasty and smoky. It's really, really delicious. And that infused in milk and an ice cream made out of that. Absolutely delicious. Also, another Japanese green tea that I really like. It's like a working class tea is genmaicha. I don't know if you know it. With the roasted rice. Yeah, man. I love that. I love that. First time I had it Super was nice. in Kokolo Ramen in Berlin. 
Oh, yeah. And I was like, what is this? Because it's like green tea, but it has also, the rice grains are roasted, right? So it has this popcorn yeah. aroma. Exactly. Super, super nice. And I have, at one point, I put that into beurre blanc. Ah, oh, nice. To like infuse. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You get this like tea and like also like roasted rice flavor. That was very delicious. Um, but yeah. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.